Well, welcome to Raider Church. My name's Clayton Walker. I'm one of the pastors here. I hope you had a great Easter weekend uh, with family and you got to eat tons of great food. Uh, I was with my family over Easter and you know, it's funny when you get a lot of your family together, like you learn all kinds of new and, and crazy things about your family. And a lot of crazy things can happen. Like when you get your whole family together, like my kids were out at, at my in-laws house and they were hunting Easter eggs. Okay. And they, it's eggs that they had died, like that they had died in color and stuff before. And so they're out hunting these eggs. And I noticed that my daughter Nixon, she's uh, three, she's about to turn four this summer. She was picking up eggs and she would look at them and then she would put it back down where she got it and she would keep going like, no, babe, like you're, you're, you wanted to pick them up and put them in your basket. And she said, no, no daddy, they're, they're, they're wet and I don't want them in my basket. And I was like, what do you mean they're wet? They were in the grass, I guess the grass was wet and she didn't want wet eggs in her basket. I'm like, you don't understand the point of this though. It's not whether they're wet or dry, like it's who can get the most eggs. And she didn't care. She didn't want wet eggs in her basket. And so then I look in her basket and here's her basket of eggs. She had three, like they were the perfect colored ones, like the pink and the orange and the yellow. Like she was also looking at other ones and if they weren't like perfect, like if they didn't have the same color and density of color, like all the way around the egg, she didn't want it, okay? So it had to be the perfect color, it had, it had to be dry, okay? If it was going in her pretty perfect pink Easter basket, I guess. So then I learned from my mom she starts talking to us about how every time she moved, uh, she moved a lot, her husband was in the oil industry for a little while, that every time she moved, she changed her email address because she thought she needed to change it when she moved addresses. I'm like, mom, that, that's not how this works. Like, you, you don't have to change your email address when you move homes. It's, it's, not, the same, it's not the same thing. Then, if all that wasn't kind of crazy enough, uh, my father-in-law makes the turkey for Easter this year, and he's going to make it with tequila in it, okay? And he's gonna cook it though, so he thinks it's all gonna get cooked out, but he put a ton, like a ton into this turkey. And so we weren't taking bites of turkey, we were taking shots of turkey. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but we're like trying to take the turkey off my kids' plates, you know, and, and, and while we're still stuffing more turkey down our own mouths and, and people are, you know, walking around. It was just, it was, it was crazy, okay? It was crazy Easter. Uh, I hope you had a good Easter. Maybe it was calmer than, than, than mine was. So maybe less eventful. Uh, maybe more sober Easter than, than mine was. So we're in the middle of a series though called Grave Robber. Well, we are talking about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so if you're here tonight and you've had questions about Jesus or the church, you've had doubts about Jesus, may, maybe you're an unbeliever, like you're not into this whole Jesus thing. You don't believe this whole Jesus thing because it seems crazy that a bunch of people would believe that someone was risen from the dead. And so if that's you, or maybe you have friends like that, then, then you're here at a great time because in this series, we're talking about the evidence for why Christians believe Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're anything like me, when I was going into college, I started getting really, really skeptical and asking a lot of questions like, is this really true? Or is this just something I was told my whole life to like make me feel better about life and death and all that kind of stuff? Or, or is this really true? Is there evidence that points in this direction. So I began to study. I began to research. I began to read and, and try to figure out, do I really believe that someone was dead 
and that God rose them and brought them back to life? Do I really believe that that actually happened? And here's why that's important. We talked about this last week. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our time here is useless. Our preaching is useless. we, We shouldn't even be here at church right now if Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead. Paul said, your faith is useless if this didn't actually happen. If Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, your faith, our preaching, this is all useless. It's a waste of our time. In fact, he goes on to say that we should be pitied above all people if we really believe this happened and it didn't actually happen. If we believe this happened and and we don't have evidence to point in this direction. Paul said we should be pitied above all people. And then he goes on to say a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Jesus didn't raise, wasn't risen from the dead, then let's go eat and drink because tomorrow we're going to die. In other words, let's live it up. Let's do whatever we want. If Jesus didn't, if he didn't, if he hadn't risen from the dead, then we should just be living and doing whatever we want. But if he did, and that has huge implications for every person here, every person on the face of the planet, every person that's ever lived and will live, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it has huge implications. It means he's Lord. In other words, it means he's the son of God. It means that as he claimed to be the only way to heaven, it means that's true. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, he's the only way to heaven. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He is Lord. And when you die, you'll stand before him and you'll have to give an account for your life. If Jesus is who he said he is, if he's Lord. Otherwise, if he didn't, then Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic. He was a liar in that he knew he wasn't the son of God, but he told people he was anyways. Or he was a lunatic, he was crazy. And he believed that he was the son of God. He really did believe it, but he wasn't because he didn't rise from the dead. So with Jesus, there's no, well, he was a good teacher. He had some good things to say. No, no, that's not possible with Jesus. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he rose from the dead and he's Lord. He's the son of God. He's the only way to heaven. There's only three options. He didn't give us any other options because of what he claimed about himself. So if he's Lord, or if he rose from the dead, then he's Lord. The question though we've been asking in this series, is there evidence to back that up? Jesus, is there any evidence to show, to to point in the direction of a resurrection? And so in this series, that's what we've been talking about. And so we've said, we're going to give four historical facts that are so strongly attested historically that nearly every scholar who studies the subject will grant that these four facts are true. Atheistic scholars, non-Christian scholars, Christian scholars, most all of them will agree that these four facts that we're looking at are true. Next week, we're going to talk about a fifth statement, a fifth idea that's granted by the majority of Christian and non-Christian scholars, but not virtually all like these first four we're talking about are. So last week, we we talked about the first fact. Today, we're doing facts two, three, and four. So we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to go quick. Um, If you want to follow along, the easiest thing to do is probably go to RaiderChurch.com, select sermon notes, and you can can follow along with this. I'm going to have everything up on the screen here in just a second, but we're going to give evidence inside the Bible, outside the Bible, and just from logic, and I believe it's going to point in the direction to show that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, that it was a real thing. 
and that our preaching isn't useless, your faith isn't useless, and our time here isn't useless, and Jesus really is who he said he is. He is Lord. So, last week we said this. Fact number one is that Jesus died by crucifixion. You can catch that on our website. Today, let's go straight into fact number two. Fact number two is this. Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. Now, notice the way this is worded. It says that the disciples, this is a fact because it's it, what virtually all scholars will agree on is that the disciples believed this to be true. They're not saying that they all agree that Jesus rose from the dead because then they would all be Christian scholars, okay? So, but they can all agree that the, Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. And here's why everyone agrees on this, okay? Reason number one was, they claimed it. They claimed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Okay, if you read the Bible, like the accounts of the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus risen from the dead, in 1 John, John, Apostle John says that we have seen, we're telling you, we're talking to you about what we've seen with our eyes, what we've touched with our hands, what we've heard with our ears. That's what John said. So they claimed it. Paul, a church persecutor who later becomes a Christian, we'll talk more about him in a minute, he agrees that the disciples claimed that they saw Jesus. Watch what Paul said about what was passed on to him. He said this, 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I passed on to you, he's talking to the Corinthians, the, the Christians at Corinthians, he says, I passed on to you what was most important, and watch this, what had it also been passed on to me. Now here's what's important about what Paul's saying and about the next verses that he writes, okay? He's saying that there is this message that was passed on to him and he's passing it on to others. Now remember, in this day and time, there was no podcast, there was no laptop, there was no Word documents or Pages documents or Google Docs or anything like that to share and to pass along. And there wasn't any of that. There wasn't a printing press, okay? So most things, most people couldn't even read. So most things that were taught were taught orally. They were passed through oral tradition. So what Paul is saying here is this was passed on to him. This statement was an oral tradition that was passed on among these early followers of Jesus. And historians can date the following statement here in just a second that Paul says was passed on to him that he passed on to others. They can date this statement back, this oral tradition, back to within five years of the resurrection. That the disciples begin to recite this and pass this on to other people because that's the only way they could do it was short, easy to remember statements through oral tradition to pass it on. And so they can date what Paul's about to say here in just a second. They can date this back to within five years of the resurrection. So here, here's what was passed on to him that he's passing on to others. Passed on to him by the disciples. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So Paul says about the disciples, because after he converted to Christianity, he, he got to know those guys and they passed on to him what was most important. And this statement, this oral tradition was passed on from disciple to disciple, from church to church, from convert to convert, because it was easy to remember. So Paul says, they passed it on to me and I'm passing it on to you. In other words, what Paul is saying is, the disciples claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Peter and the 12 and, and these 500, what Paul is saying, they're claiming they saw Jesus risen from the dead. So we have the eyewitnesses claiming it. We see that throughout the New Testament. We have Paul saying they claimed it, okay? Now, let's look at some outside sources. We've got some church leaders 
later in the first century, in the second century, who knew the disciples, who said they claimed it as well, that they claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Watch this. Clement, Bishop of Rome in the first century said this about the disciples. Therefore, having received orders in complete uncertainty caused by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in the word of God, they went with the Holy Spirit's certainty, preaching the good news that the kingdom of God is about to come. So Clement, Bishop of Rome said the disciples claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Next, we have Polycarp, who's Bishop of Smyrna in the second century. Again, talking about the disciples. For they did not love the present age, but watch, but him who died for our benefit and for our sake was raised by God, saying that the disciples believed in Jesus who died for them for their benefit and was raised by God. So we have another outside source from the Bible saying that the disciples claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. So you can see why there's virtually consensus on the idea of the fact that the disciples believed that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. So not only did they claim it, but they were willing to suffer and die for it. You see, you know someone believes something to be true if they're willing to suffer and die for it. If they're willing to suffer and die for something they know to be true or false. Because remember, the disciples are saying, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. They were willing to suffer and die for that belief. You know, the disciples went from being scared and hiding in a locked room after the crucifixion because they were afraid they were next. They went from being cowards to after seeing Jesus risen from the dead. They were transformed into men who were boldly proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Going everywhere, telling everyone that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they wouldn't stop, even when they were threatened. That, hey guys, you're, we're gonna throw you in jail. We're gonna beat you. We're gonna kill you. They wouldn't stop. They were ordered to stop talking about Jesus. They said, we can't, we can't help it. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard, was their response. And watch what some of the outside sources, again, of the New Testament said about the disciples' willingness to suffer and die for what they saw and heard. Watch this. Clement, Bishop of Rome, said this, because of envy and jealousy, the greatest and most righteous pillars have been persecuted and contended unto death. Peter, who because of unrighteous envy endured not one or two, but many afflictions, beatings, and having borne witness, went to the due glorious place. In other words, he's saying Peter died for his faith in Jesus. Peter died saying he couldn't recant on his belief, on his experience that he saw Jesus risen from the dead. Look at this next one. Origen was a Christian theologian in the second century, said this, Jesus, who was both once risen himself and led his disciples to believe in his resurrection and so thoroughly persuaded them of its truth that they showed to all men by their sufferings how they are able to laugh at all the troubles of life, beholding life eternal and the resurrection clearly demonstrated to them both in word and deed. 
Origen said the disciples were willing to suffer and die for what they saw and heard and touched. They couldn't go back on it. So all of this led an atheistic New Testament scholar to say this. Watch this. His name's Gerd Ludman. He said it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. There's an atheist saying this. Saying there is so much evidence that the disciples claimed it and were willing to suffer and die for it. There's so much evidence. Even an atheist, scholar and professor, so that it may be taken as certain that the disciples believed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead because they were willing to die for it. Now, I know you may be sitting here thinking, okay, yeah, but listen, there, there are martyrs every day that, that, that believe all kinds of crazy stuff, right? I mean, there's plenty of people who, who are willing to die for what they believe. And you would be right. That's true. But there's a difference between people today who die for their faith and the disciples dying for their faith. You see, someone today who dies for what they believe to be true dies for what someone told them to be true. They don't know it, like they aren't in the position to know whether it's true or false. They are so convinced of what they believe in that they might be willing to die as a martyr for what they believe. But they're not in the position to know whether it's true or false because they weren't there. The disciples were in the position to know. They were in the position to know whether what happened was true or false. Because they were saying, remember, we saw him. We touched him. We, we heard him. No one told them about these things. They died as martyrs knowing that what they believed was either true or false. And here's what I'm saying. Nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. Nobody dies in the ways that the disciples died. Nobody suffers in the ways that the disciples suffer for something they know to be a lie. They were in the position to know. So here's what I want you to see tonight. It's this, it's that liars make bad martyrs. Liars, you're gonna see this about the disciples, we're gonna see this to be true about the, the next people we're gonna talk about. Liars make bad martyrs. The disciples were in the position to know whether what they were saying was true or false because they were saying they were the eyewitness. They were the ones that were there. And they were willing to die for what they said they saw. So fact number two, the disciples believed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Fact number three is this. Paul, the church persecutor, was suddenly changed. Virtually all scholars agree on this, Christian, non-Christian, that Paul, the church persecutor, was suddenly changed. Something happened to Paul. So in case you're like, who is this Paul guy? Well, in Acts chapter 8 and 9, the Bible says that Paul was this guy who was dragging Christians out of their homes and leading them to be stoned to death. In fact, Paul was there holding the jackets of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. As men were stoning Stephen to death for his faith in Jesus, Paul was standing there, and the Bible says he was giving approval to what was happening. Well, later, Paul would be the one that was dragging people out of their homes and stoning them to death. Paul was, the Bible says, was angry at Christians and 
wanted to kill them. And on his way to kill more Christians, to imprison more Christians, Paul said that there was this light that shone around him and he fell off of his horse. He fell to the ground. He was on his knees and he said, who are you? And Paul said, the risen Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, I'm Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my followers? So Paul ends up giving his life to Jesus. He, he gets baptized. And the church persecutor, who was giving approval to Christians being stoned to death, dragging Christians out of their homes to be stoned to death, that same man saw Jesus, begins to be a follower of Jesus, gets baptized, and then starts preaching about Jesus. And watch what he said about some of the other Christians who were scared to death of him. Okay, They didn't know what to think about this guy. Watch what he said about him. Galatians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says this, And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, all the, all the people, the one who used to persecute is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Paul, the church persecutor, his life's totally changed. He begins preaching the good news about Jesus, what would it take for someone who was a church persecutor, who hated Christians, who would stone them to death, what would it take for someone like that, an enemy, to put their faith in Jesus and to begin to preach about the very faith he was trying to destroy? What, what would it take for that to happen? Well, Paul saw Jesus risen from the dead. It totally changed his life. And not only did he preach about Jesus, he was willing to suffer and die saying that he saw Jesus risen from the dead. Watch this. This is what Dr. Habermas, New Testament scholar and professor said about Paul. If testimony affirming an event or saying is given by a source who does not sympathize with the person, message or cause, like an enemy, we have an indication of authenticity. In other words, what he's saying is that enemy testimony is strong evidence for something to be true. If your enemy is saying, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. I saw him risen from the dead and it changed my life. Then you know we've got strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So this led Tertullian, who's a Christian author in the second century, to say this about Paul. He said that Paul is beheaded has been written in their own blood. And if a heretic wishes his confidence to rest on public record, the archives of the empire will speak, as with the stones of Jerusalem. We read the lives of the Caesars. At Rome, Nero was the first who stained with blood the rising faith. Then is Peter girt by another when he is made fast to the cross. Then does Paul obtain a birth suited to Roman citizenship when in Rome he springs to life again ennobled by martyrdoms. Tertullian, a second century author, said that Paul was willing to not just preach but willing to die for what he believed to be true. He was willing to die saying he gave or saying he saw Jesus risen 
from the dead. So fact number three, Paul, the church persecutor, was suddenly changed and willing to die for what he saw. And then finally, fact number four, James, the skeptic and brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. James, the brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. You know, in, in Mark chapter three, it talks about how the family of Jesus actually thought he was insane. There are these crowds pressing in, they're wanting to hear from Jesus and, and his family thinks Jesus is insane. And then watch what it says about his brothers. Jesus had several brothers and, and it says this, not surprisingly in John chapter seven, verse five, it says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. I mean, think about that. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? How many of you have brothers in here? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us. How many of you would believe that your brother is the son of God if that's what they told you? You wouldn't believe it, right? You, you would think, just like Jesus' brothers thought about them, about him, you're, you're out of your mind. You're crazy, okay? His brothers, James, he did, they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. I mean, it's crazy, right? Your brother walking around talking about, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of God, you know, I'm gonna, you're gonna kill me and I'm gonna be risen again in three days. What, what are you smoking, dude? I mean, no, you're, you're not the son of God. Like, stop. Okay, so what would it take though? What would it take for your brother to convince you? Think about that. You're James and your brother, Jesus, is saying he's the son of God, right? What would it take to convince you? Let's go back to that statement in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, I left off the end of it. Watch what Paul says at the end of that statement in 1 Corinthians 15. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. James sees his brother risen from the dead and it changes his life. He becomes a follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul and Luke both record that James, because a prominent leader of the church in Jerusalem, James became a follower of his brother. And then later, James writes a letter. And watch the way that James starts this letter off. James chapter one, verse one, he says, this letter is from James, watch, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his brother. James, didn't believe, James thought Jesus was out of his mind. He thought he was crazy. So what would it take for your brother to convince you that they're the Son of God? Well, for James, it took Jesus rising from the dead. Watch what he says. Two, James chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus? if you favor some people over others. Let me just ask you, all of you guys that raised your hand that said you had a brother, how many of you have ever called your brother glorious Lord? Let me see your hands. None of you? What's wrong with you? I mean, why not? You've never called your brother glorious? Okay, let me ask you this. How many of your brothers have ever called you glorious Lord? Anybody, hands? Okay, I've got three brothers. I'm telling you right now, they have never called me glorious Lord, okay? I've never called any of my three brothers glorious Lord. It just, it's not gonna happen, okay? James called his brother Jesus, 
his glorious Lord. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. He became a preacher of his brother because he saw it, he couldn't deny it. And then James was willing to suffer and die as a martyr, saying he saw his brother Jesus risen from the dead. Watch this, Josephus said this, one of the most famous first century Jewish historians, where we get a lot of Jewish history from, said this about James, convening the judges of the Sanhedrin, he, the high priest, brought before them the brother of Jesus who was called the Christ, whose name was James and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and watch this, and delivered them up to be stoned. James was stoned to death because he wouldn't go back, he wouldn't recant on what he saw with his own eyes. His brother risen from the dead. And Josephus, the most famous Jewish historian that we've got, first century says, James saw his brother risen from the dead and he wouldn't give up, he wouldn't turn back. He was willing to die by stoning rather than say he didn't see his brother risen from the dead. Now I know most of us, all of us, I wasn't born during this time, but you've probably heard of the Watergate scandal, okay? How many of you know Watergate? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about Watergate, okay. So in the 1970s, there was this scandal involving President Nixon and his staff where they broke into the Democratic National Convention headquarters, okay? And they were, they were found guilty of, of some other illegal activities too. Well, Chuck Colson was special counsel to the president during this time. And he ended up being arrested for his involvement in Watergate. But while in prison, he gave his life to Christ and he wrote some books. And here's what Chuck Colson said about Watergate and his new faith in Christ. It's pretty interesting, watch this, here's what he said. He said, Watergate involved a conspiracy to cover up perpetuated by the closest aides to the president of the United States, the most powerful men in America, who were intensely loyal to their president. But one of them, John Dean, turned in state's evidence. That is, he testified against Nixon, as he put it, to save his own skin. And he did so only two weeks after informing the president about what was really going on, two weeks. The real cover-up, the lie, could only be held together for two weeks. And then everybody else jumped ship in order to save themselves. Now, the fact is that all that those around the president were facing was embarrassment, maybe prison. Nobody's life was at stake. But what about the disciples? Twelve powerless men, peasants really, were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings, stonings, and execution. Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breasts that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of those apostles would have cracked before being beheaded or stoned? That one of them would have made a deal with the authorities? None did. And so when these three facts 
The disciples believing they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Paul, the church persecutor, being suddenly changed. James, the brother of Jesus, a skeptic, being suddenly changed. And their willingness to die for what they saw with their eyes, touched with their hands, and heard with their ears. Is the strongest historical evidence we have for the resurrection. Their willingness to die for what they knew to be true or false, not what someone told them, but for what they knew to be true or false. And so let me remind you again tonight, liars make bad martyrs. Nobody dies in the ways that these guys die for what they know to be a lie. Nobody does. So why did Jesus do it? Why did he go through the cross? Why did he need to be risen from the dead? What was the, what was the point of all of it? Well, Romans chapter 4 says this. Verse 25. He was handed over to die, watch this, because of our sin. Because of your sin. Because of my sin. He was handed over to die. And we have, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You know, the Bible says there's a punishment for our sin. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. There's a fine to be paid because we've broken God's law. And Paul, the church persecutor, turned preacher. And Romans 4 verse 25 says that Jesus was handed over to die for our sin. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Let me ask you this. How do you know when a prisoner has paid their fine in full? They're set free, right? They're released from prison. Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that your fine for sin was completely paid for because he was released, he was let go, and he was risen from the dead to make us right with God. And so Paul says this in verse 24, he said, God will also count us as righteous, in other words, right with God, if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see, you're not made right with God when you've been in church enough times, when you've been a good enough person, when your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's, that's not when you're right with God. You're right with God when you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sin, that he rose again. And the Bible says when you do that, when you commit your life to Jesus, your sin is completely forgiven. You're made right with God, you're righteous. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You see, some of you have been thinking that maybe God will let you into heaven because your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds because you've been a good person. You've, you've tried hard to do the right thing or, or maybe because you went to church enough times or, or maybe because you're here tonight that that'll make you somehow, that'll make you right with God. It doesn't. The Bible says salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. In other words, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you commit your life to Jesus. And so if you're here and you've never made that decision before, I wanna challenge you. Believe in the one who paid for your sin, who was risen from the dead to conquer your sin, to conquer death. Give your life to him. I don't know about you, but I'm trusting in the one who rose from the dead. 
No other religious figure has ever done that. Jesus is the only one to have ever risen from the dead, proving that he was the son of God and that he was the only way to heaven. And so my trust is in him. And I wanna challenge you to do the same thing tonight. If you've never made that decision before, commit your life to Jesus. And if that's you, take out that card that was in your chair when you came in, fill it out, check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. And after the service is over, stop by our VIP center. We'll have a team there. And they just wanna pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But tonight, our band's gonna come and lead us in time of worship. We're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We're gonna see some people get baptized a little bit. It's gonna be awesome. But before we do that, I just wanna invite you to stand. And as you do, and before we worship, I want you to know how each of the disciples gave their life for Christ. It's inspiring to me to hear about how these guys were willing to suffer and die for what they said they saw with their eyes, touched with their hands, heard with their ears. And so I want you to hear how each one of the disciples suffered and died as a martyr for what they saw, for what they knew to be true. Andrew died in Greece. He was crucified on the next shaped cross because he didn't feel worthy to die on the same cross that Jesus did. And as he died, he was pleading with people. He's on the cross and he was pleading with people to give their life to Jesus. Bartholomew was preaching in India and he was filleted and skinned alive with knives. James, the brother of John, Herod Agrippa had him beheaded. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified in Egypt and afterwards his body was sawed into pieces. John, was sentenced to be boiled in a vat of oil at the Colosseum. And he kept preaching while he was being boiled alive in this oil. But it didn't hurt him, it didn't faze him. And so he was banished to an island called Patmos. Jude was preaching in present day Iraq and Iran and he was shot to death with arrows at Mount Ararat. Matthew believed that he was speared to death. We believe he was speared to death or crucified. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that his Lord Jesus had died. Philip died by hanging or crucifixion. He requested that his body not be wrapped in fine linen like Jesus because he didn't feel worthy to have his body treated like Jesus' body was treated. Simon died on the mission field as a martyr. Many think he was crucified and again, his body sawed into pieces afterwards. Thomas was preaching in present day Iraq and Iran and India, and he ended up being killed with spears and burned alive at the same time. Matthias, who took Judas's place, was tied to a cross and then stoned to death. Paul was beheaded because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. You're gonna see these guys one day. They're gonna tell you their stories. And then they're gonna turn around and they're gonna ask you, so what's your story? What's your story? And you're gonna tell them. And you're gonna tell them about whether you live for Jesus or you live for yourself. I don't know about you, but I wanna look at them and I wanna be able to tell them a story about how I live for Jesus, about how I was willing to suffer for Jesus. 
I want to look at them and I want them to look at me and I want them to say, well done.